Section 62 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The World's Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Chapin. Section 62. Hans Christian Andersen as a Boy. By Himself. In the year 1805, there lived at Odense, in a small mean room, a young married couple who were extremely attached to each other. He was a shoemaker, scarcely twenty-two years old, a man of a richly gifted and truly poetical mind. His wife, a few years older than himself, was ignorant of life and of the world, but possessed a heart full of love. The young man had himself made his shoemaking bench, and the bedstead with which he began housekeeping. This bedstead he had made out of the wooden frame which had borne only a short time before the coffin of the deceased Count Trompa, as he lay in state, and the remnants of the black cloth on the woodwork kept the fact still in remembrance. Instead of a noble corpse, surrounded by crepe and wax lights, here lay, on the 2nd of April, 1805, a living and weeping child. That was myself, Hans Christian Andersen. During the first day of my existence, my father is said to have sat by the bed and read aloud in Holberg, but I cried all the time. "'Wilt thou go to sleep or listen quietly?' it is reported that my father asked in joke. But I still cried on, and even in the church, when I was taken to be baptized, I cried so loudly that the preacher, who was a passionate man, said, "'The young one screams like a cat,' which words my mother never forgot. A poor immigrant, Gomar, who stood as godfather, consoled her in the meantime by saying that the louder I cried as a child, all the more beautifully should I sing when I grew older. Our little room, which was almost filled with the shoemaker's bench, the bed, and my crib, was the abode of my childhood. The walls, however, were covered with pictures, and over the workbench was a cupboard containing books and songs. The little kitchen was full of shining plates and metal pans, and by means of a ladder it was possible to go out on the roof, where, in the gutters between it and the neighbor's house, there stood a great chest filled with soil, my mother's sole garden, and where she grew her vegetables. In my story of The Snow Queen, that garden still blooms. I was the only child, and was extremely spoiled, but I continually heard from my mother how very much happier I was than she had been, and that I was brought up like a nobleman's child. She, as a child, had been driven out by her parents to beg, and once, when she was not able to do it, she had sat for a whole day under a bridge and wept. I have drawn her character in two different aspects, in Old Dominica, in the Improvisatory, and in the Mother of Christian, in Only a Fiddler. My father gratified me in all my wishes. I possessed his whole heart. He lived for me. On Sundays he made me perspective glasses, theatres, and pictures which could be changed. He read to me from Holberg's plays and the Arabian tales. It was only in such moments as these that I can remember to have seen him really cheerful, for he never felt himself happy in his life and as a handicraftsman. His parents had been country people in good circumstances, but upon whom misfortunes had fallen. The cattle had died, the farmhouse had been burned down, and lastly the husband had lost his reason. On this the wife had removed with him to Odense, 
and there put her son, whose mind was full of intelligence, apprenticed to a shoemaker. It could not be otherwise, although it was his ardent wish to attend the grammar school where he might learn Latin. A few well-to-do citizens had at one time spoken of this, of clubbing together to raise a sufficient sum to pay for his board and education, and thus give him a start in life. But it never went beyond words. My poor father saw his dearest wish unfulfilled, and he never lost the remembrance of it. I recollect that once, as a child, I saw tears in his eyes, and it was when a youth from the grammar school came to our house to be measured for a new pair of boots, and showed us his books, and told us what he learned. "'That was the path upon which I ought to have gone,' said my father, kissed me passionately, and was silent the whole evening. He very seldom associated with his equals. He went out into the woods on Sundays, when he took me with him. He did not talk much when he was out, but would sit silently, sunk in deep thought, whilst I ran about and strung strawberries on a bent, or bound garlands. Only twice in the year, and that in the month of May, when the woods were arrayed in their earliest green, did my mother go with us, and then she wore a cotton gown, which she put on only on those occasions, and when she partook of the Lord's Supper, and which, as long as I can remember, was her holiday gown. She always took home with her from the wood a great many fresh beech boughs, which were then planted behind the polished stone. Later in the year, sprigs of St. John's wort were stuck into the chinks of the beams, and we considered their growth as omens whether our lives would be long or short. Green branches and pictures ornamented our little room, which my mother always kept neat and clean. She took great pride in always having the bed linen and the curtains very white. Odense was in my childhood quite another town from what it is now, when it has shot ahead of Copenhagen, with its water carried through the town and I know not what else. Then it was a hundred years behind the times. Many customs and manners prevailed which long since disappeared from the capital. When the guilds removed their signs, they went in procession with flying banners and with lemons dressed in ribbons on their swords. A harlequin with bells and a wooden sword ran at the head. One of them, an old fellow, Hans Strew, made a great hit by his merry chatter in his face, which was painted black, except the nose that kept its genuine red color. My mother was so pleased with him that she tried to find out if he was in any way related to us, but I remember very well that I, with all the pride of an aristocrat, protested against any relationship with the fool. The first Monday in Lent, the butchers used to lead through the streets a fat ox, adorned with wreaths of flowers, and ridden by a boy in a white shirt and wearing wings. The sailors also passed through the streets with music and flags and streamers flying. Two of the boldest ended by wrestling on a plank placed between two boats, and the one that did not tumble into the water was the hero. But what especially was fixed in my memory, and is very often revived by being spoken about, was the stay of the Spaniards in Funen in 1808. Denmark was in alliance with Napoleon, who had declared war against Sweden, and before anybody was aware of it, a French army and Spanish auxiliary troops under command of Marshal Bernadotte, Prince of Pontecorvo, entered Funen in order to pass over into Sweden. I was at that time not more than three years old, but I remember very well those dark brown men bustling in the streets, and the cannon that were fired in the marketplace and before the bishop's residence. I saw the foreign soldiers stretching themselves on the sidewalks and on bundles of straw in the half-burned St. John's Church. The castle of Colding was burnt, and Pontecorvo came to Odense, 
where his wife and son Oscar were staying. The schoolhouses all about were changed into guard rooms, and the mass was celebrated under the large trees in the fields and on the road. The French soldiers were said to be haughty and arrogant, the Spanish good-natured and friendly. A fierce hatred existed between them. The poor Spaniards excited most interest. My father had not many friends. In his leisure hours he used to take me with him out into the woods. He had a great desire for country life, and it happened just at this time that a shoemaker was required at a manor house who would set up his bench in the neighboring village, and there have a house free of rent, a little garden, and pasture for a cow. By permanent work from the manor and these additional helps, one could manage nicely. My mother and father were very eager to have the place, and my father got a trial job to sew a pair of dancing shoes. A piece of silk was sent him, the leather he was to furnish himself. All our talk for a couple of days turned upon those shoes. I longed so much for the little garden where we could have flowers and shrubs, and I would sit in the sunshine and listen to the cuckoo. I prayed very fervently to God that he would grant us our wishes, and I thought that no greater happiness could be bestowed upon us. The shoes were at last finished. We looked on them with a solemn feeling, for they were to decide our future. My father wrapped them in his handkerchief and went off, and we waited for him with faces beaming with joy. He came home pale and angry. The gracious lady, he said, had not even tried the shoes on, only looked at them sourly and said that the silk was spoiled and that he could not get the place. If you have spoiled your silk, said my father, I can be reconciled to spoiling my leather, too. So he took a knife and cut off the soles. There was no more hope of our getting into the country. We mingled our tears together, and I thought that God could easily have granted our wish. If he had done so, I had no doubt been a peasant all my life. My whole future would have been different from what it has been. I have often since thought and said to myself, Do you think that our Lord for your sake and for your future has let your parents lose their days of happiness? My father's rambles in the wood became more frequent. He had no rest. The events of the war in Germany, which he read with eager curiosity, occupied him completely. Napoleon was his hero. His rise from obscurity was the most beautiful example to him. At that time, Denmark was in league with France. Nothing was talked of but war. My father entered the service as a soldier, in hope of returning home a lieutenant. My mother wept, the neighbors shrugged their shoulders, and said that it was folly to go out to be shot when there was no occasion for it. The morning on which the corps were to march, I heard my father singing and talking merrily, but his heart was deeply agitated. I observed that by the passionate manner in which he kissed me when he took his leave. I lay sick of the measles and alone in the room when the drums beat, and my mother accompanied my father weeping to the city gate. As soon as they were gone, my old grandmother came in. She looked at me with her mild eyes and said it would be a good thing if I died, but that God's will was always the best. That was the first day of real sorrow that I remember. The regiment advanced no farther than Holstein. Peace was concluded, and the voluntary soldier returned to his workstool. Everything fell into its old course. I played again with my dolls, acted comedies, always in German, because I had only seen them in this language, but my German was a sort of gibberish which I made up, and in which there occurred only one real German word, and that was Basin, a word which I had picked up out of the various dialects which my father brought home from Holstein. 
"'Thou hast indeed some benefit from my travels,' said he in joke. "'God knows whether thou wilt get as far, but that must be thy care. Think about it, Hans Christian.'" End of section 62